Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin. This is the second part of our podcast on Beatles songs about the Beatles, songs that they wrote about each other. And in the first part, if you haven't listened to it already, we've talked about how they kind of ended up using songs after their split to have a go at each other and we kind of left the story towards the end of uh, 71 start of 72 uh, when things start to take a, a bit of a change so we're going to delve right back in I think maybe Stephen the first kind song that comes along the first n- you know nice song that tries to make amends uh, comes in late 71 on the Wings Wildlife album yes. which is Paul's Dear Friend yes uh, so this is again. Uh, this this is a very explicit uh, song to John. Um, it came out after "How Do You Sleep" mm-hmm. on on Imagine, which was probably John's most vicious attack on Paul. So at the time, uh, it was perceived as an answer to that uh, sort of Paul reaching out out to John in response to "How Do You Sleep," but actually it had been recorded before that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it just that's just happened to be the way the sequence in which they were released, but uh, it, it came out during the 1971 RAM sessions, and it, it, it's very clearly an attempt at reconciliation uh, w- with John. Um, one can only imagine having recorded that, knowing it was sitting there, mm. then he hears, how do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> and he wonders. About and he wonders, should I, should I put this out? Should I not put this out? But um, it, it, it's one of those rare examples, I think, from McCartney, where he's 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 it's a very naked yes. uh, lyric. Um, you don't usually get that yeah. from from McCartney. He's usually more sort of uh, you know oblique in the way that he approaches these things. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I think that is the great thing about Wildlife is that it's one of the rare times where you can pick out individual lyrics and moments. And Paul is trying to put it out there. You know, he says the album is his Bob Dylan album, and he's trying to you know say what he means. And dear friend, you know, particularly if you listen to the demos of it and the sessions of it, you know, he really is. He's just pulling it out of himself to, to 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 say it and to mean it. Yeah. Well, that's one interpretation. <laughs> but we don't have any insight, do we, of whether Lennon actually ever heard the song, or I've, do we? I've never, I've, I've, never. I've never read any comment where, where Lennon has made a, a comment on it. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose my my problem with the song, uh, you know, the first the first time I I heard the song, I, I liked it and I I took it for what it was, and I thought this is a a very genuine, but I, I just can't help feeling that it's so un-McCartney-like mm. that uh, it, there must be an element of, of it being contrived, that, that he knew very much what he was doing. Uh, we mentioned in the previous episode that this is a point at which they're writing to each other through the music 
papers they're they're sort of slag each other off calling yeah. each other names and about tax and music affairs and criticizing each other's wives and all, all sorts of things uh, and i i think this this is an example of mccartney writing a song for me it's not him sort of dragging from his emotional heart this mm-hmm. is this is it. he's writing a song to order he needs a song to reconcile, to draw a line, and I think he he does that. Um, arguably, I think the song is too long; mm-hmm. won't cover the ground that I've done on the, <laughs> on the wildlife. But I think I, I I think it doesn't really sit with with the rest of the songs in Wildlife. It's, it's sort of quite uh, sort of highly orchestrated track. Whereas yeah. Wildlife, uh, the, the idea is just this is, is going to kind of knock this album out in a day. Uh, this doesn't come from the wildlife sessions no, it comes from earlier but I, I and the other thing it has allowed Paul to do uh, to an extent is is to play that uh, it was so great that uh, John, I made John, and John. I, yes. John and I got back together and it's very emotional and um, he, he, he give, gave an interview for the wildlife box set saying just that again yeah wasn't it a joy it's very joyful to me that we, that we were able to to, to make up and uh, unlike George you, you know and he, he he sort of emphasizes that George and John didn't have a good relationship yeah. George neither is here to contradict that but this is the the sort of uh, uh, one of the platforms on which he builds that but this is Paul the great compartmentalizer isn't yeah. it where he just yeah. gives a story and, it, and uh, you know sometimes you know, uh, you know, another whole point about this is banging on about the Beatles, but sometimes you kind of need to step outside of that and say, well, if I think of what I was doing in my 20s and the friends I was getting on with and not getting on with, you know, it must be very weird at 40 or 50 years removed to hear a song like Dear Friend that you've recorded and maybe not thought about for a long time. Yeah. And then go back and go, well, you know, this stuff, whether it's contrived like you think or whether it's from Paul's never ending deep big heart like I think. Um, it must be very weird to have these things because, you know, you, when you think back on your own time as a young person, you know, you don't have it thrown back at you in, in massive detail the way it must do if you're a Beatle. No, I think I, th- I think this is very true. Uh, and I think if you're from my generation or from your generation... Uh, <laughs> um, it's not that big a guy. I, I, I think that's true. I think you can have arguments with your family with mm. your friends you could have massive rise but then then you make up and it's not as if every time you see the let it be film there's that argument that happened uh, for 10 minutes one afternoon 50 years ago but it's preserved on film yes to, you know this podcast now turning into a social history podcast <laughs> i think the difference i think the difference now for the generations that yes are coming they are more like that because every trail. every row, every yeah. argument is played out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and it's there forever. So, mm. I, I think young and then people the kids get on my lawn, they, yeah, and they they just won't get off my lawn. Then I I, I, oh, I, I so seriously, I think that that's that's a difference. I think yeah. uh, you know in 40, 50 years ago, it was only rock stars and movie stars that had their life played out in public. Mm. Right? Everybody's life is played out in public. If you're not on TV, you're only yourself to blame. <laughs> well, you know, the podcast might make it there eventually. But you, you kind of then, wildlife at the end of 71, then we get into 1972. And as I mentioned at the end of the last podcast, apparently January 72 is when Paul and John meet uh, in New York and they have a bit of a, a detente and they, you know, unofficially, informally yeah. start to put their weapons down. But it opens a line of communication between John and Paul that hadn't really existed for the previous two years. Yeah, I think they've decided at this point, you know, if we have an argument, if we have 
issues. Mm. That's a private thing. We'll not play. This isn't a soap opera. We'll yeah. not play this out in public. And in 72, it's also beginning to seem like Alan Klein, whose management contract is up within the following 12 months. It also seems to be that Paul might have been right all along. Yeah. And they're starting to disassociate themselves and realize that, you know, maybe John maybe might feel that Paul is a better allegiance to have going forward than Alan Klein. But for 1972, the song you've been trying to convince me is very seriously about the Beatles relationship is Ringo Starr's Back Off Boogaloo. Yes. Explain yourself. Well, this is a this is another one of those songs that uh, a bit like It Don't Come Easy, which is his first uh, single. Uh, George Harrison is very heavily involved in this. Mm. Um, when the single comes out, it's credited to uh, Ringo Starr, uh, the writing credit. When it comes out, Ringo's redone this song, I think, twice mm. uh, since. Uh, the most recent uh, version credits George, he gets a co-write credit. Right. So I think this is very much a collaboration uh, between Ringo and George. Some of the lyrics and the style also reflect the fact that Ringo at this stage is hanging out with Mark Bolan, mm-hmm. uh, directing a, a documentary about Bolan. It's sort of peak glam years in yeah. the UK. So it, it has all the hallmarks, but the lyrics... Um, some of the lyrics are a bit nonsensical. They, they, they sort of reflect the Mark Boland style of, of lyric writing. But there's, there, there are a couple of lines in particular. Um, all of the Beatles, George, uh, John, Ringo, were very critical of Ram. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Ringo said, you know, there's not a single tune on it. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a line there which says in Back Off Boogaloo, which is get yourself together now, give me something tasty. Everything you try to do, you know it sure sounds wasted. Mm-hmm. And I think it seems to me that that's a kind of little swipe at uh, at Paul. Um, the other example uh, is uh, sort of references this l- rumor that was floating around in the late 60s about Paul McCartney is dead yeah. and has been replaced. And again, you know, uh, there's a whole podcast uh, mm-hmm. uh, on that. But the other lyric is, uh, wake up, meathead, don't pretend that you are dead. Get yourself up off the cart. Jesus. Uh, and and it, seemed, <laughs> it, 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 it seems to me that those are, are uh, uh, references uh, to, to uh, McCartney at that stage. So when does Ringo and Paul get back together? I know Ringo, doesn't Ring, Ringo appears on stage in 76 and gives a wave to the crowd. Yeah, but, Paul but, but, but before that, the first point uh, uh, which I'm aware they get back together again is the Ringo album in 1973. Ah yes of course. So uh, Paul writes uh, six, 6 o'clock, o'clock in the morning uh, records it. Uh, I think pretty much sounds like if, you, if there's a, an extended version of that that yeah. I think is on the CD and you can, and uh, it, it sounds very much like a Wings track from that, that era and he also appears on uh, Your 16 to McCartney on Ringo's mm. uh, number one single in America. Um, so I think by 1973 he and McCartney are, are, back, are, are together. back together and they're working together and uh, Ringo in 1973 is friendly with everybody. Yes. So the other three all appear on the Ringo album on, in on the Ringo album. And uh, I suppose if we're talking about songs that reference the Beatles, I'm the greatest, mm-hmm. uh, which is a song that Lennon yeah. wrote originally. I think he said he wrote it for himself and realized he couldn't possibly get away with that, <laughs> uh, that lyric. So he repurposed it for uh, uh, Ringo. Ringo. So it refers to uh, Billy, Billy Shears, Shears yeah. and it's now I'm only 32 and all I want to do is Boogaloo, Boogaloo. which refers back to the previous but single. And back off Boogaloo, have you seen the video for this? Yes. Where Ringo <laughs> is, um, first of all, it's interesting because Tittenhurst Park, which is the famous big white mansion that John Lennon 
made imagining and that when we see those films of him and Yoko and the big piano, they are in the big white Tittenhouse Park yep. mansion. John sells this mansion to Ringo, yep. like you do. As you do. And then for the back off Boogaloo video from 72, um, you see Ringo prancing around the, the, the gardens Same, yeah. of Tittenhurst Park, except he is being coyly chased by Frankenstein, yeah. which is makes perfect sense, I yeah. guess, if you're in, in a state that Ringo is in 72. Yeah. Um, there's another Ringo video um, for Stop and Smell the Roses, which features Tittenhurst Park very clearly. Yes. Uh, uh, and just from a Beatles anorak point of view, heaven forbid there's any such people listening here today, but the, the 1981 Stop and Smell the Roses video features Tittenhurst Park very, very clearly. So Ringo is still living there in, in the 80s and it's, you know, it's the same Imagine building but being used for a slightly different uh, song. Um, but as you talk then, 1973... You know, between the four of them, uh, there's a, there's some kind of m- melting of the waters, some, you know, loosening of the permafrost. But George still has some songs on the Living in the Material World album that refer to the Beatles. He, he does. And uh, the most obvious one of those is a song called uh, Suyu Sumi Blues or Sumi Suyu Blues. Um, and although this comes out in 1973, it is actually written before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there's a guitar player called uh, Jesse Ed Davis and, and Harrison had given him first crack mm-hmm. at this song and his album came out in 1972. So it, it sort of predates. So it comes from that kind of pre-rapprochement era. Yeah. Um, so this this is a very explicit, uh, um, you know, you bring your lawyer, I'll bring mine. We'll all get together and have a bad time. And it refers to affidavit. So it's, it, it, it's a sort of a blues Song and it's a very explicit uh, reference to to the that breakup and Apple and the business. Um, he did Harrison did perform this on his 1974 oh, yes. uh, American tour, and uh, live he would sing, "You bring your lawyer and I'll bring Klein." <laughs> so. Uh, by that stage, of course, Klein was uh, was was on the way out. Yes, and uh, actually mentioning the '74 tour, so I'm trying to think what Beatles references were there on the '74 tour. Obviously, he, he had Billy Preston in the band. He sang "Sue Me, Sue You Blues." Yeah, he did a version of "In My Life," which has to be heard to be believed. Yes, where he he changes the lyrics and he slows it down. I, it has its fans. Not me, I have to say, but not me. He, he changes it to "In My Life, I Love God More," and he changes lots of kind of words and pronouns in the, in the song. I'm trying to think if there's anything other ex- anything else explicitly Beatles that he does in that 74 tour apart from being George Harrison on um, the concert uh, stage. Yeah, but I mean he's, he's playing playing you know while my guitar gently weeps yes. he's playing something. Yeah. Um but he's he's changing as you say he's changing the words, he's changing the melodies. Mm. He's uh, there's a real sense that he's he's very reluctant to mm. revisit those yeah. uh, to revisit those songs and um, you know the 1974 George Harrison tour uh, is almost the only touring he does he does a short run of gigs in Japan in yep. uh, 91 isn't it 91 91 and he um, and that that's it for George touring so we never really get to experience George over the years bringing the Beatles into his live act or how he responds to that material which obviously might make one feel different about that material yeah. because Paul obviously yeah. goes through yeah. a different yeah. path um, and then the title track A Living in the Material World as well he also 
gives a nod. He does. And I think this is perhaps more indicative of where his head was at or where his heart was at in, in 1973. Mm. Um, so in the title track, he, he's referring to, you know, I met all my friends in the material world. It, it, it also, this lyric evidences George's lifelong love of a bad pun. Mm. Um, so he said, met them all here in the material world, John and Paul here in the material world. We started out quite poor, but we got Richie on a tour. <laughs> so um, Harrison is famous for his ridiculous uh, <laughs> uh, puns and uh, punning sense of humour. So, uh, But I think that's a, that's a kind of friendly nod. Yeah, it's probably uh, the first nice reference, yeah. certainly from George. It's kind of conciliatory. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I think so. And, think and so. reminiscent. Um, so we kind of start to, it starts to get a bit thin then for the rest of the 70s. You could argue about whether something like Band on the Run has a bit of a nod back to you never give me your money, Apple business, that kind of thing. Well, the, the lyric is from a Harrison reference in a Beatle meeting where they Go were all on. sitting around and uh, George said, do you think we're ever going to get out of here? <laughs> or when we ever get out of here? And, and so Paul said, yeah, you just file that away. And, made more money made more off money that off and more that. success yes instead of uh, George turning it into a song himself but if you look at the the second half of the 70s you know the reality is that Ringo's commercial star drops see what you did there oh yeah <laughs> uh, John stops making records after 1975 Hooray. goes into his house husband period um, George has you know varying commercial yeah. success he releases some bad stuff he releases some good stuff that's yep, so overlooked mixed, mixed bag um, and uh, Paul kind of just becomes this powerhouse of you know he does his big global tour in 75, 76 and he's getting all the hits but yep. he's you know become almost a separate entity and as he likes to point out you know there were kids in the 70s who knew me as the Wings guy not the Beatles guy and he loves that he loves it it's like having him in the room <laughs> it is isn't it and uh, but I'm still here um, but then you kind of get into the next phase of Beatles songs there is a, a swathe of songs um, also a swathe of songs outside of George, Paul mm. and Ringo uh, you know you have people like um, Elton John and Queen and all these other people putting out songs in, in response to the, the death of John Lennon but you, you certainly the songs take a, a totally different tone because you know maybe the, the axes have already been ground and now we're kind of looking at things through a totally different mirror or window um, and the big first one is all those years ago from George Harrison yeah and I think I think that you're right. The tone changes because uh, although the journalists still ask the question, there's now no possibility of the Beatles getting back together. Mm. You know, that's that's it. Um, so that's the question that every time someone was releasing an album or going on tour, that's the question that they all had to, 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 to deal with. Um, all Those Years Ago was an odd song. Yeah, um, it's, it's 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 kind of awful. It's jaunty. It's too jolly. Yeah, it's jaunts um, along and it, it kind of gallops. I mean, it's you know it's got a good groove to it, but it just it it's it seems inappropriate to yeah. the subject matter. So the the the, the backstory for for is that this is a song uh, Ringo was was getting ready to record an album in early uh, 1981. So and again a sign of of the state of the relationship between mm. the Beatles. He had approached each of his bandmates and they had agreed to. Uh, uh, appear on the album mm -hmm. um, and I think this would have been the first time that all three would actually have appeared on, on a Ringo Starr album since 1973 um, John Lennon was going to give him uh, Nobody Told Me mm -hmm. uh, as, as a song and he'd already if you listen to the Dakota demos that are out there you can hear him doing a little introduction there were two one was called Life Begins at 40 and Nobody Told Me 
Harrison uh, contributed this mm-hmm. song and they had recorded it. Ringo had done his drum part, but then he decided he didn't like it or it was too high. It wasn't the right key. But yeah. for whatever reason, he had uh, rejected the song and uh, Harrison gave him a different song, Rack My Brain. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> another another classic. Um, uh, but but so George then takes the backing track, mm. which features uh, Ringo on drums, George on guitar, and repurposes the lyric. Yeah. And uh, just to to sort of you know complete the circle, he gets Paul, uh, Linda, and Denny Lane are all on this. So this is the first uh, song that that mm. uh, uh, George, Ringo, and uh, Paul. Paul uh, yeah, since since I me mine. mine, and the next one they'll do is free as a bird. Yeah, uh, I think George Martin was also milling around, aren't there? There are Polaroid photographs I've seen online of them in Friar Park. Yes, uh, Paul and George hanging out, and George George George, George Martin is at least on paper producing this yeah. uh, this session. So I say it's an existing track, mm. and then my understanding is that George Martin, Paul. Uh, Linda and Denny Lane are there. So George Martin is sort of producing yeah. the overdub session, maybe. Um, now, the vocals, I have to say, are very uh, background. I mean, they're background vocals. They're fa- they're very yeah, low I, in the I, mix. Well, I, I didn't know for years Paul was Yeah, so, so uh, you know, it wouldn't have taken much to just turn, yeah. turn those vocals up a little bit. But, yes. uh, but it's a peculiar, it's, it's got an awkward lyric. Uh, uh, the devil's best friend, someone who offended all, you know, kind of giving... Reference You've to got to get God in there somewhere. Yeah, he, um, you kind of don't want to mention what happened. Maybe the, the, we know, you know that story about George Harrison after uh, Roy Orbison died. Yeah. That, that Tom Petty tells. So obviously George Harrison, uh, through his Indian, Indian spiritualism, had a very different approach to death or what it mean meant to to die. And um, Tom Petty tells a story uh, about how um, uh, you know after they they put out the Traveling Wilburys record. George Harrison rings up Tom Petty uh, after Roy Orbison dies and the first thing George Harrison says to Tom Petty was, aren't you glad it wasn't you? And Tom Petty thinks this is, you know, momentarily thinks this is strange and he thinks, yeah, yeah, I am glad it wasn't me. Um, So, you know, George kind of believed in the spiritual shedding of skin and that, you know, life still goes on and... And, and that's that. That's mentioned that if you if you I'm not sure on the reissue, but if you you, you have the original LP somewhere in England mm-hmm. that this this track is on, there is a little kind of reference to to that. There's a little ref tribute to John uh, on the inner sleeve and uh, a line something along the lines of you know there was never a time when you you didn't exist and there never will be a time when you cease yeah. to exist. Um, but yes, it's it's just a very odd mismatch mm. of, of kind of subject matter and this sort of jaunty. Tune up and some very sort of early eighties yeah. keyboards and, and production style, and I, I he does a live version on the Live in Japan album, which, yes. which really isn't much better. That's a terrible record, Live in Japan. No, no. Yeah. Okay, someone, it's someone, a disappointing record. It's a disappointing. Mm-hmm. Record. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But someone, someone, I remember, I can't remember who wrote the review, said it's like listening to paint dry. <laughs> um, but interestingly, all those years ago was perhaps the first statement, certainly the first musical statement from any of the three remaining Beatles about what had happened. And people were hungry for it at the time. It became a US number two at yep. a time when George's commercial fortunes were really, really bad. Gone. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he was having you know record company trouble and they didn't want to put out records. So, you know, it, it, it delivered probably what it was supposed to deliver. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit strange. And then the spotlight then shifts over to Paul. I mean, like, well, Paul, what have you got to say for yourself? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Paul had an odd 1980. We might do a podcast just on 1980 someday. But Wings had kind of fallen apart. Paul was doing a proper solo album. That album turned into Tug of War. And the song on that about John, which everyone was waiting to hear, waiting to see what it was, was the song Here Today. Um what do you think of here today? Because it's got a, it, it still exists in Paul's live set lists. He plays it, he references it, he acknowledges it. Uh, does it do what it's intending to do? I think so. Mm. I think it does. It's, it, it's, I remember getting the Tug of War album and uh, th- this, this was a very emotional track. It's a very heartfelt track. Yeah. Um, I, I think it contributes to the overall sort of uh, uh, success of Tug of War as, as a Piece. It's 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 probably Paul's best album since Band on the Run. Um, back to the uh, argument. Say uh, that. Sorry, back to the argument. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do. I like I like this. I liked the song. Yeah. Um, I've heard him do it live uh, in concert. Mm-hmm. What four five times? Yeah. It, Don't brag. I think it's lost. It's uh, <laughs> it's lost. It's uh, luster. Luster. I think yeah. I think it's quite a disarming song for Paul. I think he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. You know. So if he if he did some kind of rumpy pumpy Beatles pastiche like all you need is, or like I'm um, sowing the seeds of love or one of those yeah, type yeah, of songs, yeah. you know, he couldn't really do that. And I think he focuses on it, it, it. He just focuses on one or two very small moments in the song. Yeah. And uh, you know, just says. You know, this is it is. It's a, it, 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 it for, for me. I was very being very critical uh, of dear friend and saying it's very contrived. Mm. I, I I don't think yes uh, this this is contrived. I think it's a piece of writing. I think it's very honest. I think it's very heartfelt. Um, but Paul doesn't often write as if anybody is watching or if he doesn't. He, he's quite an automatic writer, mm. and so that means he puts out some things that perhaps he shouldn't put out. Yeah, he doesn't edit lyrics well. Yeah, but he obviously knew this is a song that people are going to want, that people are waiting for me to deliver a song about this, and people are going to pay attention to this song. And it's it's quite it is it's a measured. Sta- it's a statement. Yeah, it's a statement. He 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 knows he's writing, if you like, a legacy piece. Yes. So even yes. even even the conceit of it's a sort of imaginary conversation mm-hmm. between himself and John, and then he he refers back. I hadn't realised uh, that he was referring back to a specific incident. Whether there's a lyric where he says, "What about the night we cried?" Yeah. But he's actually referring back to something that happened in 1964 in in Florida, where they were stuck overnight. There was a storm. Uh, they were stuck for a couple of days, so all they did was drink. Yeah. Um, and having sort of drunk themselves stupid, then they had a very open and emotional conversation, and they were literally sort of crying about, uh, you know, how do we 
get here and isn't this fantastic and this is all of our dreams came true and yeah. uh, w- which you get a sense that that would have been a very rare moment of honesty between them back in in in, in the heyday of uh, the height of Beatlemania. Yes, um, you know these guys are Liverpudlian Northern men. They don't they don't display their emotions. So <laughs> I, I I I do like the song from that point of view. I like the fact that. Uh, they decided we'll go with the string quartet, mm-hmm. um, which is clearly uh, harking back to yesterday. And yeah, uh, you know, and you've got George Martin there, but I really don't need to hear it again. I have to admit, when you know, we went to see Paul last year in Liverpool play live, and uh, uh, part of me, there are certain things I knew that were going to happen at the concert. So I knew we were going to get Hey Jude, and yeah. I knew we were going to get you know the the bit where he pays tribute to George and to Linda and to John. Uh, but I have to admit, when he did play here today which he did on this rather odd elevated plinth, yeah. totally solo across the crowd. I, I, I got, I like that. You were, I, de- you were deeply moved. I, there was something in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's he, he, he did what it needed to be done. And uh, I can't remember, what was Ringo's first statement then? About uh, uh, there was no there was nothing the, at the, the time. No, there's no there's no musical statement. Yeah, um, about, uh, from Ringo on John that I'm aware of. Yeah, and then you kind of slowly move into the final phase four of Beatles songs about the Beatles, which are these kind of retrospective, warm, uh, you know, heartfelt. Hey, you know what what a blast it all was. Yeah, and I'm going to say that that started in 1987 with when we was fab. Yeah. So when we was fab was the second single from George's big, massive commercial smash, uh, Cloud Nine. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Jeff Lynn. What a great guy! What a great guy! And um, <laughs> for for clarity here, uh, I I am Team Jeff, and Stephen, you are uh, some other team. Yes, not yes. Team Jeff. And uh, but what's interesting is when we was fab was the first song recorded for Cloud Nine, and I find it interesting that George, who is somebody who you might have said was a bit uh, recalcitrant or a bit sort of anti-nostalgia, uh, you know, for, for this to be the, the gateway into this new album with this new producer who is known as being, you could say, a Beatles fetishist. Yes. Um, to make a song that's explicitly Beatle-like and then to make a video, like the video he made to go with that song. If you, if you take the two together, if you take the song together with the video, it's, it, it is, you know, for someone who is definitely Team George, it, it was extremely unexpected. He is, yeah. he is, he's he is. given the people what they want. Yeah, he is, and I mean that's that's not what he's done in the past. He's always had a, a slightly jaundiced uh, view mm-hmm. of the Beatles and the experience and the public's demands. And he's he's, you know, I think he's the only person that I think at least twice has written a song that contains the word nervous system. <laughs> you know that we gave everything, we give our nervous system. I yeah. think that's a very odd phrase, but he he's got a very jaundiced view, and here he's writing in a very. You know, it's a very amiable, it's a very nostalgic, it's mm-hmm. looking back, you know, it's referencing fans sending him pullovers and, yeah. and, and wasn't it fabulous when we were fab and, and the video the same. Um, but I think in fairness, it's it's to Jeff Lynn's talent that, you know, maybe on his own, George might have made it a total, you know, could joke. Be. I mean, it's a, co- it's a co-write with Jeff. Yeah, Lynn. and Jeff kind of pulls it back and says, no, 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 we're going to, yeah. you know, we're going to do this properly, you know, because uh, I think they balance each other out quite well there. And it was... It was George's last top 40 hit in the, in the USA and, you know, Godley and Cream, who made a lot of fantastic videos in the 80s, as well as making some great music, um, they made the video. And the video features 
um, a couple, like loads of Beatle references, yeah. but it, it features Ringo Starr, mm-hmm. um, who's, you know, playing the drums, and then a figure dressed as a walrus playing a bass in a left-handed fashion. Yeah. Who could that be a reference to? Who could to? that be? I can't uh, think. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing is that Paul McCartney subsequently mm. said, yeah, George phoned me up and said, would I be in the video? And I said, mm, no, too busy, but ch- why don't you... They were still suing each other. They were still, still suing wouldn't each other. do anything until the yeah. lawsuits so were wh- over. Why, why, why don't you put somebody in a... So again, he's saying, I said, why don't you put somebody else in the walrus suit? Mm-hmm. So... It's a video. We'll we'll put up a link to the video because it also features Jeff Lynne is in the video. Elton John is in the video. Neil Aspinall, who was running Apple at that time, is in the video. um, Beatles assistant and Ray Cooper is in the video somewhere as well. And uh, if you also don't know the single cover, even the single cover is totally retro. Yeah, it's Clouds of Women redoes a line drawing of George, uh, present day, 87 picture of George in the style of Revolver. Revolver. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, there's a 12-inch mm-hmm. version of the single, and uh, they came to George and said, "We need a remix version of this." Have, have you, you heard this story? I don't think. No. And uh, George was kind of saying, "What? So what? 12-inch? What? Why? <laughs> what? What is this?" And uh, so he 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 took 30 seconds and did a 12-inch version by taking the last two minutes of the song and just reversing it. <laughs> so the song fades out and then just fades back in backwards for two and a half minutes. So that's fantastic. Take that out. Take that out. Um, so then, uh, you, you know, as things progress um, in the 1990s, you have a big kind of Beatles revivalism and you have the Beatles themselves coming back together with anthology. And in some ways that, you know, closes one book of sorts, uh, but then it sort of feeds into the, you know, the rest of this phase of kind of looking back and, uh, and uh, you know, being very... Um, you know, heartfelt about what's going on. So Paul opens the first Beatles post Beatles anthology album with the songs we were singing, which isn't yeah. explicitly about the Beatles, but sort of has this vibe of the '60s and hanging out and writing songs and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think that uh, that that that's what he's going for, and he makes the point anthology sort of reconnected him mm. with that, and he talks about uh, you know the standard of the songwriting, the quality control that they had. Um, that's, uh, I, I think, uh, we touched on that previously about Paul's lack of an edit mm. facility or a lack of a, a quality control mechanism. I know you're keen to take on that job, but uh, <laughs> so, but but he he credits anthology with kind of reconnecting him with that. So I think it's fitting that the opening song is trying to tap back into that sort of yeah. mid 60s 60s I get a kind of 66 mm. uh, they're all kind of sitting around in, in these conversation pits, pits in the 60s uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know talk about a range of subjects anything, anything you like, you like. <laughs> anything you like <laughs> but even the title of the album if you don't know the story Flaming Pie I remember when I first heard he was going to call that album Flaming Pie I thought it was kind of audacious. It was ridiculous. So if you don't know the story, um, in Mersey Beat at the very start of the, the Beatles' career in, in the Mersey Beat newspaper, uh, John Lennon was asked to write an essay about how the Beatles got their name. And he says, oh, it came to me as a, a, a as a man on a flaming pie. And he said, you will be Beatles with an A. And so it were. And so here we have Paul in 1997 calling an album Flaming Pie. Not even a Paul McCartney Beatles reference, no. a Lennon Beatles He's reference. Stealing. Uh, stealing from Lennon, calling it Flaming Pie and a, and a you know, a great kind of theme tune or a great title track where you know one of these songs that he could write in his sleep and record in about two hours just him on on all the instruments uh, rocking out but it's 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 basically him saying yep Beatles I remember at the time in 97 he was on the cover of uh, Q magazine and the headline was meet the Beatle yeah he, he just was going all out he just yeah. was quite open that Is yeah it was after anthology starts dyeing his hair 
Uh, yeah. And starts cutting it more like a kind of beetle yeah, crop. Doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so so the, so flaming pie is him very much trying to be uh, in in beetle mode. Um, next on the list we have never without you. I like this song. Okay, tell us about never without you. Uh, this is this is Ringo's tribute to George. Yeah. Um, uh, so George died 90, in two thousand and one. Mm. Um, this is just another one of those charming uh, Ringo songs. So you know, there's nothing innovative about it it's, but it's just a very heartfelt uh, uh, tribute um, he, what he does is he, he also lifts some lines from Within You Without You for, he references I Dig Love mm-hmm. which is an odd I thought it was like an odd song from uh, All Things Must Pass and he references uh, All Things Must Pass uh, itself and he drafts uh, Eric, Eric Clapton in to do the uh, guitar solo uh, so it's, it's, it's worth checking out I think there's a YouTube uh, mm-hmm. there's a video for this um, very heartfelt, very open, and I think uh, it's a song. Unlike here today, which is sort of an emotional uh, song, th- there's a kind of joyous aspect to this as well. Mm. Um, the, the downside is that out of this, it begins a sequence of songs that Ringo starts writing, yes. uh, referencing <laughs> Liverpool yeah. and uh, Rory Storm yeah. and uh, you know his time in Butlin's Holiday Camp. So. If we're going to include all of those, I think yeah, Ringo could almost, he could almost have an album just of songs that Ringo has has, has written. Yeah. Um, the best slash worst <laughs> is uh, Postcards from Paradise. Oh, yes. Which he just simply, the, the lyrics are entirely made up of... Uh, Beatles titles to uh, to you know I mm. want to hold your hand. I feel a Spotify playlist coming uh, on. Th- that is a, yeah yeah I I know, th- that's I, worth checking out. I know he had that album Liverpool Eight, which was the um, the postal district, the postcode yep. that he lived in growing up. Yeah, and he wrote the song oh, Liverpool. What is it? I left you, you never left me. Blah blah blah, and then went over to Liverpool and insulted everyone. Uh, by said. saying, anything you miss about Liverpool? No. Do you <laughs> yeah. want to come back? No. No, I don't. No. One, one, one other uh, song that we should reference is uh, Ringo did a cover version of I Call Your Name. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was at the time, you know, there was a concert uh, for Lennon mm-hmm. in Liverpool. In 1990. And uh, I think McCartney sent along a sort of a live clip of... of Strawberry Fields Forever. And yeah. at the same time, he started dropping in P.S. Love Me Do. Yeah. The worst thing that he's ever done. So George very wisely declined to have anything to do with that tribute yes. concert. But Ringo sent along a video mm-hmm. uh, of him singing I Call Your Name. Hmm. So uh, whether whether we want to include that as a kind of reference or a shout out to, to John, find the video for that and you will see the proto Travelling Wilburys. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. The um, the other thing he's done, he has remade a couple of his songs, Ringo. He remade Back Off Boogaloo, you touched upon earlier yeah. on. There's a 1981 version which you sent me, which I'd never heard before, yeah. with Harry Nielsen doing all sorts of in-house Beatle references. It's yeah. very strange. It's a bit like Harry Nielsen's original... Um, you Can't Do That. Yeah, You Can't Do That, Beatles cover. And he's covered Back Off Boogaloo again, was it last year or the year last before, year. for um, his most recent album, which is called... Give Me Love? 
Bring more love, give more love, give more love, give more love, give more love. We can't stop listening to it. It hasn't been off the uh, CD player since it came out. What CD is, player? What is, what is great on uh, that new Ringo album is he does a fantastic, and I'm no joke, a fantastic new version of Don't Pass Me By, yep. which I think is really, really good. Um, but we're going to finish up. We're going to kind of bring things up to date, you know, with, with what Paul was doing. So in 2005, he puts out Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. The most notable thing about that is its front cover, which shows a teenage Paul in the garden of his house in Fortland Road, a picture taken by his brother. I'm not sure exactly what it has to do with the music within, but it's a fantastic cover. It's a know? backyard. Oh, yeah. That has never dawned <laughs> on me before. Right. OK. How embarrassing. And then, <laughs> but it's an old picture for a new album. I'm not sure what he was trying to achieve. Um, and then you come up to Paul's uh, solo album of 2013, New. Now, it's interesting. Paul never wrote a specific song about George after he died. What, no. he, what he would do in concert is sing something. Yeah. And, you know, when the, the concert for George, which was a memorial concert one year after he died in 2002, uh, you know, Paul comes on at the end and he does this ukulele version of something which morphs into the real version. Yeah. And that's the version he still does live on tours as tribute to George. Do you know anyone who was at the concert for George, Stephen? I do. I was there. I've never, there? I've never mentioned You've this never before. Mentioned I don't before. like to talk about I it. I know, I know. But uh, what was the, the tone in the room when Paul came out and uh, started doing that? It was, uh, it really was quite something. <laughs> <laughs> it was something. Um, uh, yeah, because he, he immediately followed uh, Ringo. Ringo. Mm. So the format uh, for, for people that, that weren't there, there might be some people who weren't there apparently um, or who haven't seen the film uh, you know friends of George's were coming on doing George covers yeah except Ringo mm -hmm. uh, who came on and did Photograph mm -hmm. uh, which he sort of repurposed as a, a tribute to George because the backdrop was a Photo huge George. photograph of George and he's kind of acknowledging that this, this song means something different now. Like when Ringo did that song at the concert for George, it then became a song about the Beatles. It became it, a it, song about themselves yeah. because it's talking about all I've got is this photograph. Yeah. And it, that, I, I think it was a fantastic performance. It was a Ringo's. fantastic performance and it was a very moving performance. Yeah. And and then Ringo sort of says, oh, I'd like to bring on our friend Paul, our friend Paul McCartney. And, uh, Paul, uh, and uh, you suddenly realise that you've got Paul, mm. Ringo, Billy Preston, yeah. Eric Clapton. That's four Beatles. Yes, yes. Klaus Vormann, that's five. Yeah. So you, you, it's as close as you were going to get. So yeah. it was, I, I, I have to say, I, that entire concert is a little bit of a daze to me mm. because you were, it was just overwhelming who was on that yeah. stage. Um, it, it. It was a very moving thing to hear uh, Paul do it. It's a slightly clunky segue from mm. the, 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 the ukulele into um, the traditional the, version, the, yeah. the, the full band version. Um, the, the other interesting thing about that concert is the last song but one. Mm. Is Wawa. Is Wawa. Which almost brings us full circle. Which brings us kind of full circle. Yeah. Um, that being the first song uh, yeah. uh, on Bangladesh. But it, it was a very uh, uh, moving performance I then I, I've seen Paul do I saw him in America mm -hmm. uh, just after driving rain uh, and he did just I think my recollection is it was just a, an acoustic mm -hmm. version on ukulele that was very nice I don't need to hear it again I don't need to hear it again either uh, and I think I put it into that same uh, bracket mm. as, as here today. This is a kind of, yeah, it was nice, it was fine, it was lovely, it but was there, but don't, I don't need your milking it now. But to be honest, I look at the tour dates he's playing in 2019 in the US and he's playing markets he hasn't really played before mm. and 
I guess the crowds are going to want to hear it there. I think this is you can't, uh, yeah, that's I the think, argument. I think it? this is the problem, and this is why he's you know he's he says about yeah people come they want to see the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, he dyes his hair, he wears <laughs> the Shea Stadium jacket. And you know, if you're at the back of a eighty thousand seat stadium, it looks like the Beatles. And so we're going to wrap up with uh, yeah the twenty thirteen album new. It has uh, it has two songs really that that kind of stick out. One is uh, on my way to work. And the other one is Early Days. Now, Early Days is explicitly about the Beatles. And I, I, I much prefer On My Way to Work as a, as a tune. It's a funny, it's funny. On My Way to Work is very funny. Yeah. And it's, it's very jaunty. And it's got that great lyric about looking at the magazine. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's basically Paul about being on the bus on his way to work pre-fame. Whereas Early Days is one of these songs where... You know, there's no real metaphor in it. He's basically no. saying, I am Paul. Remember Paul from John and Paul? Yeah. Hmm? Remember mm. that? There wasn't anyone else? That yeah. was me. Just There was just me here. Actually, there was That Was Me. It's another Paul song that's just come to yeah. mind from memory almost full, which is a, a song where he talks about how have all these things happened to me in my life. So yeah. he's, it's a well he's dipping into a lot. Yeah, Early early Days is, uh, it reminds me of those interminable songs by Van Morrison uh, where he takes <laughs> pot shots at biographers. I mean, that, that's where he's saying, you, know, you don't know what happened to me yeah. I was there and you're uh, doing what we're doing which is saying well that song is about this and yeah. this happened and this meant this and this meant that and, you know and he, he's kind of taking issue with this So you think there's a chance Paul might write a song about this podcast? I'm hoping Wow I have my lawyer is standing by. That'd be amazing. I mean, you, you come right up to date at the time of recording this Paul's most recent album, Egypt Station. I don't think has any Beatles references in it at all. No. Um, you know, explicit, implicit or anything. And I think it's all the better for it. I'm a huge Egypt Station fan. I think it's great. Um, but that's kind of gives us a blanket of, of what the Beatles have r- written about over the years. It's over 50 years of songs from where they're writing about themselves as kind of a, an inherent cultural institution from trying to seek out some information from the four walls that surrounded them through to taking their grievances out in public through to grieving in public yeah. and then just having the, the memories of a lifetime. So it's a bit like how we all live our lives, really. All human life is all there. All human life is here. That's yeah. the magic of the Beatles, folks. Okay. Um, hopefully we will uh, get you to check out some of these songs. We will put up some Spotify playlists related to the stuff we've talked about today. We'll uh, tweet out some YouTube links. If you want to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. We are on Twitter, on at BeatlesPod. You can search for Nothing Is Real on Facebook and the usual places. Uh, but until next time, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. Thanks very much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.